name's Eric. This is not my snack. This is, uh, we're celebrating uh, communion today, the Lord's table. And, uh, and so I uh, wanted to make a couple comments. Uh, so a lot of you guys know that uh, in a previous life, um, you know, I, I uh, was a musician and, and played a lot. And um, I think the first time I ever was in Las Vegas or in a casino was uh, I was on tour and, and I played, um, I think it was the Palms uh, in Vegas. And, and, uh, and I was just recently there um, uh, in Vegas again, visiting a church out there. Um, anybody ever, like, listen, I don't need to get in your personal life. Anybody been to Vegas? Been to, okay, a few of us. Or even if it wasn't Vegas, uh, but a casino, right? And the thing about casinos is um, they don't have windows. Um, they're intentionally designed so they're as confusing as, as, as possible to get out of. Um, and also, uh, most of them are designed so that you cannot see a window from the floor. Uh, and that is, quite frankly, because they don't want you to realize you've been up all night playing nickel slots. Um, they want you to be in this place where time and anything outside doesn't exist, where you're just in this little bubble. And um, sometimes church can be that way. Sometimes we can walk into a space like this and it is very, very easy to be in a, a mindset where we forget of what's going on out there. And, and this is not because of anything nefarious or, or uh, ill-intended. Uh, quite frankly, I would say it this way, like we've been going through this series on the Ten Commandments um, for weeks now. And this, this series is born out of a lot of prayer and a lot of thought and a lot of asking God, God, what do you want to tell this community? What do you want to tell E3? What do you want to say? And, and then we come up with these sermon series, and, and some of them are shorter, four weeks. This one is going to be 10 to 11 weeks. And that's a strategic reality, and we want to honor that. So every time that, that you guys come in uh, here on a Sunday, this is the sort of the casino part where we say, listen, we believe that God has taken us on a journey, and we're just going to kind of keep plowing through this. And just every week, every week, and we know outside those walls, things go up and things go down. But every once in a while, something happens and you're just like, whoa, like we can't go casino mode. And, and that uh, is just when you get in a space where you say, something has happened in our community, something's happened in our region, something's happened in our lives that we just have to press pause. And part of being a church leader is learning how to navigate, learning how to, okay, we need to pause the series, which we almost did this week. And some of you guys, if you follow us on social media, you might have even seen a post that said, listen, we're going to press pause on the series um, because we felt like, listen, what we had just experienced as a community, as people, um, it was just too much to ignore. But then we got further in the week and we're like, then we kind of had a, a flip side of like, listen, we've been on this journey and, and taking people through these commandments of what it means to be human and what God is inviting us into. And we felt like, okay, we're not really sure that we can like uh, surrender that. And so what I'm getting at is that this journey to this time, to this day has been really confusing and, and a struggle for me and for the rest of the staff because we just did not know what we wanted Sunday to look like. Were we just gonna like just sit and, and sing and, and be together? Uh, were we gonna go on with the series and pretend like it just didn't happen? And we felt like we couldn't do 
either of those things. We felt like if we figure out a way to do both things. And so I'm like, okay, well, how, God? How, how, how? And then I remembered yesterday that we were going uh, to the Lord's table. We're celebrating communion today. And so I started to think about that. And then the more I thought about it, the more I prayed about it, the more I sat with it, I realized that that's the thing. Communion is the thing that's going to allow us to hold these things in tension. So we're, we're going to, we've already kind of tried to acknowledge like where we're all at. We're going to spend a little more and more time doing that. But then I'm also going to kind of push us on this strategic journey as well. And I want to start off by uh, looking at a passage of scripture. Um, ever since this scripture was sort of adopted by the church early, early on, every time we do communion at E3, we read this same part of scripture and a lot of other faith traditions do the same. It comes out of a letter to a church in Corinth written by a church leader named Paul. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, uh, verse 23, he says, I received a tradition from the Lord, which I also handed on to you, that on the night at which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this to remember me. And then he did the same thing with the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Every time you drink it, do this to remember me. And every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you broadcast the death of the Lord until he comes. Is that familiar to anybody? I grew up you know, in church and, and we always had that read before we receive communion. We read it every time we uh, receive communion here. And as I thought about that, that scripture, and I realized that just a few sentences later, Paul also writes this. He says, those who eat and drink without correctly understanding the body are eating and drinking their own judgment, which sounds a little bit nerve wracking. So what I want to focus on and how I got into this and the light bulb that went on in my head and my heart is all about that phrase, those two words, the body. Because uh, the, the, that scripture says that Jesus took this bread and he said, this bread is my body. And then a few sentences later, Paul says, listen, you can't come to this table. You can't come to eat this bread and just think it's a snack. This bread means something to us who are followers of Jesus. It matters. It's not just bread. Jesus said, it is my body broken for you. And so Paul says, essentially, if I could paraphrase, he's like, look, don't come just to get something to eat. Recognize that Jesus said his body was broken for our forgiveness, for our, for our adoption into the kingdom. That is a reality. And so every time we come to the table, we should be saying, oh man, like we should be mindful of what it cost Jesus. But here's the deal. When Paul uses that phrase, the body, it's a loaded phrase because it does not just mean, even in Jesus' own words, it doesn't just mean his physical body. In the New Testament, Jesus uses the phrase, the body, and even this guy, Paul, uses this phrase, the body, to refer to, anybody know? The church, us, everybody. And so the other valid, completely valid way to understand Paul's sort of caution here is to say, listen, don't come to this table without thinking about the church, without thinking about the people. And 
just a little, uh, this is kind of theology, church uh, 101. When Paul says this, he's not just talking about the people in this room. He's not just talking about, well, the 9 a.m. gathering, who, let's face it, might be a little bit more motivated than you all to get up on Sunday. He's not just talking about the churches on the east side of Tallahassee or the churches in Tallahassee. He's actually talking about the whole thing. Because in Jesus' mind and in Paul's mind, there's a spiritual reality where we are all connected. There's not a bunch of bodies. There's only one body. There's only one body, one church. So this is the phrase that really, really got my, head, my mind going. In, in chapter 12 of this same letter, Paul writes this, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part gets the glory, all the parts celebrate with it. You are the body of Christ and parts of each other. And so as I was thinking about Communion Sunday, and I got to thinking about this phrase, and I was like, well, listen, and the reality is, everywhere that there's a suffering part of the body of Christ, we are suffering too. Every single part of the body suffers when one part suffers. And so when we think back on this week, and I, you know, I, I, I'm just going to put a map up here real quick. Um, you know, just I didn't, I didn't need to see the image of the storm again, but I think most of us kind of have a basic understanding of West Florida geography. You know, to see Panama City and Tallahassee, and then Mariana up there, sort of in the upper right quadrant, and just to understand that so many of the places that we are familiar with, that maybe we visited, are gone. And there's people there that are parts of the body that are suffering. And that means we're suffering. I'm going to commit a, uh, a, a sin of public speaking today. Uh, every time I start to prepare a, 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 a sermon, every time I work with Mike or Lori, we always start from the premise... What do you want people to know and what do you want people to do? And it's got to be said one thing. You got to say one thing I want people to know, one thing I want people to do. Today, there's two things I want you to know and there's two things I want you to do. Do you have the capacity for it? Okay. So the first thing is simply this. I want you to understand that according to this scripture, like we acknowledge that there are parts uh, of, of the body west of here that are suffering. And so uh, some of you guys have seen it on Facebook. You've, you've seen, uh, maybe if you're part of my E3, uh, we just kind of, uh, some people at E3 just stepped up and owned and they said, listen, I have a connection that I can get us into to, to serve some people starting in uh, Jackson County. And so we just started collecting stuff. And I tell you, uh, within, I would say under five minutes of the Facebook post coming up, there was a knock on my door and our across-the-street neighbors were there with water, and they were like, we have this leftover. And then they just started showing up at my house, and I was here yesterday, and the supplies just started flowing into the lobby. And during the 9 a.m. gathering, we sent a caravan of people over there. And you understand, I don't know, like it really struck me when I was on the phone with uh, the person who's on the ground over there, and he says, listen, I have to meet you at the exit because you can't get in. I'll guide you in. And so he's met our people over there. 
They're, uh, they're over there with chainsaws, trying to cut people out, uh, trying to give, uh, we took over 60 gallons of gasoline over there for generators. And, um, and all over the country, people are responding. And I, here's what I want you to understand too. This is fluid. We kind of don't know what we're doing. We're responding in the moment to needs that we are aware of and can serve. So it's going to be evolving as we go. We're helping these people now because we know they need help. There might be other ways that we can do. Stay tuned. Here's a cool story. Anybody uh, remember when Hurricane Harvey hit Houston? Was anybody here that Sunday? Remember what we did for that church over there? I didn't know them. We collected like over $2,000 in, in uh, Walmart gift cards. They contacted uh, my wife yesterday and they said, hey, it's payback time. And so they said, what do you need? And, the, and we're just gonna, we're gonna start give. We're gonna put the call out to our church. They're already giving so that we can provide for our neighbors because when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. So the first thing I want you to know is this is where we're at. We're collecting gas, water, imperishable. Right now we're working with the food bank in Mariana because we were told, listen, that's the best place to put the food. People can come and get it. Um, tarps, extension cords for generators, uh, to run wells. These people are all on well water. The extension cores aren't to power Christmas lights. They need water. Gasoline and can to, cans to run the generators. My wife bought every gasoline can that Lowe's had yesterday. If you have time, you know, and, and today we sent some folks over with chainsaws. We want to do that again, but uh, we don't know when. So just contact us and let us know what you have to give. And listen, if you have personal connections over there, we want to be able to help more people. This is just what it is now. If you have a personal connection, say, I can get you in. I know of some personal needs. Let us know. We'll see what we can do. We, we don't want to make any promises, but we want to help because when one part of the body is suffering, we're all suffering. Amen? That's the first thing. All right. The second thing also has to do with part of the body, that suffering. And this is a little bit more fluid and it's a little bit more um, kind of just omnipresent in our culture. And I have to go a little bit of a journey to get us there. But to do, there, to do that, we're going to go through the Ten Commandments and, and, and get at um, what might be going on in the body that we need to address. So um, the commandment, Exodus 20, 13, this is the one we're on right now. Do not kill. Other translations, do not murder. Listen, if this, if this was all there was to this commandment, we could be out of here like right now. <laughs> but Jesus is not letting us off the hook. In the Hebrew, this is one word. It is primitive and it is just, literally, it's just one word. No murder, no kill. Right? So when we start thinking about that, it's like, well, you know, literally it means don't murder. And I would like to think that not preaching to, that, that, no, that's not going to be applicable to a lot of people at E3, okay? Um, but like I said, uh, Jesus doesn't let us off the hook with this. And in fact, Jesus takes this thing, this commandment, and he uh, does something radical with it that is going to challenge us as it's challenged me. So what we're going to do is... Um, Reminder, um, 
Jesus takes the Ten Commandments uh, in his, central teaching of his called the Sermon on the Mount, and he expands part of them, contracts part of them, and messes with them because he's a rabbi, and he's brilliant, and he's a teacher. And so when you look at the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus, this is what they look like. This is where we're at. No other gods, no idols. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Last week, honor your mother and your father. This week, do not kill. Then do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not covet. Those are the 10. Jesus takes them. And this is what he comes up with. He resequences and collapses them. And he starts with, do not kill. And then he goes, do not commit adultery. Do not use the Lord's name in vain, which we actually uh, talked about because we're going in the Exodus sequence. We actually talked about this a few weeks ago. And then Jesus adds, no retaliation and love your enemies. So you have to understand that because of my position as a Christ follower, I have to take what Jesus does with the Ten Commandments very seriously. If Jesus chooses to resequence and mess with the commandments, I have to pay attention to that. And the fact that he starts with don't kill and then says don't commit adultery, I believe he's taking us on a journey. And I'm going to unpack some of that this week and next week. The other thing that you need to, uh, we need to remember about the commandments is that they are not just like don't do this and do that. Like, oh, you violated a commandment. You get a slap on the wrist from God or a side eye from Jesus. Oh, you kept all the 10. You get your gold star. It's not about that. I believe that the commandments are invitations. Invitations to live an amazing life, to be truly human. And, and I think the way I'm processing this is I just say, what if I lived my life this way? What if I could really live my life this way? I think I would live an amazing life, a human life life. So that's the setup. And what, so what I want to do is that we're going to turn to Matthew 5 and we're going to start with just how he uh, massages and expands and, and, and takes this commandment to a whole new level where it's no longer about not murdering, but it's about something else entirely. So Jesus says, Matthew 5, 21, you have heard it said, this is he, he's speaking to his followers, that it was said to those who live long ago, listen, don't commit murder. And all who commit murder will be in danger of judgment. Everybody at this point is giving the big amens to Jesus. Amen, Jesus, you got it. Then he goes on. I'm just gonna read the whole thing. We're gonna jump back to it. He said, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with their brother or sister will be in danger of judgment. If they say to their brother and sister, you idiot, they will be in danger of being condemned by the governing council. And if they say, you fool, they will be in danger of fiery hell. Therefore, Jesus says, if you bring your gift to the altar... And there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift at the altar and go. Listen, Jesus is just saying, listen, you can't come into a church or, or the temple and, and worship and have your life be a mess and ignore the ramifications of your life. You can't just come in and think that's okay. Jesus says, actually, no, I'd rather you leave church and make your life right with other people. That's how important it is. All right, uh, leave your gift at the altar and go. First, make things right with your brother or sister. Then come back and offer your gift. Be sure to make friends quickly with your opponents while you're with them on the way to court, in case you're going to court. Otherwise, they'll haul you before the judge. The judge will turn you over to the officer of the court and you'll be thrown into prison. I say to you in all seriousness that you won't get out of there until you've paid the very last penny. 
Jesus is trying to say, you can't just ignore how you treat people and think you're okay with what God, with, with God. But for our purposes today, we're gonna circle back to uh, just these two verses. So again, the original text, don't murder. Most of us are doing all right with that. Jesus starts the same way. You've heard it said, those who live long ago, don't commit murder. Everyone who commits murder will be in danger of judgment. But as he does, he says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry, at which point the whole church goes, uh-oh, <laughs> angry with their brother or sister will be in danger of judgment. I got more of a problem with anger than I do with murder. Am I the only one? Anger is another order entirely. Um, then he goes on and he says, listen, if they say to their brother or sister, you idiot, they'll be in danger of being condemned by the governing council. Now make no mistake, what Jesus just does is he says, listen, it's not about murder. It's about the state of your heart that puts you in danger of judgment. Couple thoughts. First of all, Let's all recognize anger is an emotion and emotions are gifts from God. Emotions tell us something's not right. Anger tells us something's not right. Anybody get angry when you see somebody getting the short end of the stick, being treated unjustly? Anybody get, be angry like just like when, you're, when your team is up by 20 points and you lose by... <laughs> anger is a gift from God. Emotions are gifts from God. They're meant to tell you that something is wrong but they're also meant to be temporary. And what Jesus is getting at is that there's a way to be angry that gives root to words that we use to people that anger it becomes more than an emotion, it becomes a choice to indulge. And instead of just letting that anger tell us something's wrong in the world and addressing it, we actually start to live in that anger and Jesus says, listen, if you do that, you're going to be in danger of judgment. Now, in our purposes, listen, what I think Jesus is trying to say here, if you live out of anger, you will be less than truly human. Because I don't know too many angry people who are also full of peace and compassion and joy. And the best I can read scripture, the life that Jesus offers me is full of peace, love, joy, compassion, and the degree that I tolerate and live out of anger in my life, that is gone. And so my, my ability to be human suffers. And so right now, we're already kind of dwelling in the things where like, okay, all right, it's not just about not murdering, it's about how angry do I get? But because he's Jesus, he doesn't even stop there. Because listen to what he does next. He says, um, and if they say, you fool, they'll be in danger of fiery hell. All right, Jesus. Some of us grew up in faith traditions where like fiery hell was like, you know, you turn or burn. If you don't believe these things about Jesus, you're, you're going to go to, well, fiery hell. But I love the fact that Jesus is just like, listen, you're in danger of doing this 
if your attitude towards people is not right. That's what's going to put you in danger a fiery hell, according to Jesus. Now, what's going on here? The first thing uh, we, we, we have to understand that that fool for Jesus has a significant, significant meaning. And the best thing I would summarize is to say that idiot and fool are not the same thing. Jesus says, listen, if you call your brother and sister an idiot, which is insulting, if you call yourself a, your brother and sister an idiot, that's bad. But then Jesus says, fool. And fool for the Jewish people was a really loaded and intense term. Let me, let me show you what, it mean, what I mean. In the Old Testament, there is a, a bunch of passages that talk about the fool and they contrast them with the wicked. So in Proverbs 14, you'll find this description. Stay away from fools, okay? For you won't learn wise speech there. I'm tracking with you right now. By their wisdom, the prudent understand their way, but the stupidity of fools deceives them. Right now, if we were just pausing here as 21st century people, we'd be like, yeah, fools, they're stupid, right? They're the type of people who would wear flannel on a day that's 85 degrees. Foolish people, they're not, they're not smart. But then Proverbs 14 says, fools mock a compensation offering, but favors with those who do right. Now here's the deal, a compensation offering, that's worship. So a fool is somebody who mocks the worship of God. It's not just a person that's not acting in their right mind. A fool for Jesus and a fool for the Jewish people is something way above just being silly or stupid. Now, the heart knows it's own distress. Another person can't share its joy. The house of the wicked is destroyed. But the tent flourishes for those who do right. There is a path that may seem straight to someone, but in the end, it is a path to what? Death. Fools are way above being silly. I think the, 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 the whole thing with, with what a fool means is summarized great in Psalm 14. The fools say in their hearts what? There is no God. They're corrupt and do evil things. To call somebody a fool in Jesus' context is to say, you're a rebel. You're full of malice. You are not part of God's people. You are intentionally opting out of, of what God is doing in the world. Now, uh, Jackson, bring that slide up that, that, that shows what Jesus is kind of saying in Matthew 22. He says, listen, if you call your brother and sister an idiot... That's bad, but then he says, if they say, you're, you fool, right? Well, who's he referring to still? Your brother and sister. And so what Jesus is saying is there's times out there and there are people out there who even though we have one body, there are people that you will treat in such a way that you'll say, you actually are not part of this body. I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to consider your views. I don't have to consider your passions. I don't have to consider your hurt because you're a fool, a rebel, malice, anti-God. And it's not real. And Jesus says, if you do that, you're in danger. We're talking about something called contempt. Contempt is simply this, like who do you not have to listen to? Who are the groups of people that, whose opinion you do not have to consider because they're not part of the body? Who do you hold in contempt? Who can you ignore? 
because they're not part of what God's up to in the world, as if you might know. Who are the people that you don't listen to? Who are the people you go, well, they're not part of God's. They're obviously not part of what God's doing in the world. Jesus says, when you start doing that, be careful because you're labeling people with a label that you have really no right to do so because there's only one body. There's only one body. Now, a couple things. Um, first of all, I believe that our, we, live in a, we live in a contempt-heavy culture right now. We live in a culture where we have people all the time saying, I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to pay attention to you. I, I, you don't even have to speak. I don't even have to listen to a word you say. I don't have to read your posts. I don't have to listen to your rationale. I don't have to hear your story. I don't have to hear your pain because you're a fool. And we're not allowed to do that as Christ-following people. It is off limits. Contempt is off limits for the church. Now, when contempt goes to the degree that it can go to, um, it, can, it can result in a lot of things. But in our particular country, and maybe it's a third rail, maybe it's not, but in our particular country, with our particular history, with our particular context, the contempt around people who have different ethnicities, different skin color, I'm talking about race. When you do not address contempt... And you can start writing off people as you're not, I don't have to consider you. I don't have to listen to your appointment. And eventually you can get to the point where like, I don't even have to think of you as a human being. That's why Jesus says, you're in danger of fiery hell. Because he knows what the heart is capable of doing. Now this is the good news. Uh, the good news is, uh, listen, uh, I believe the church, more than any other entity on the earth, is poised and positioned to talk about race in a compelling, constructive way. You know why? Because the kingdom of God, from its DNA, is a multicultural, diverse place where everybody matters. Jesus says it in Luke chapter 10 when he tells a story that you might know as a good Samaritan. And he basically sets up this incredible story of the most vile and hated person actually stepping up to be the most compassionate person. And, and the context is somebody says, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Who do I get to exclude from being loving to? And Jesus is like, oh, well, let me tell you a story about when like the most hated person you can imagine, think of, think of, a, um, think of an Islamic fundamentalist. And he says, that's the person that showed compassion. That's the person who showed mercy. Whoa, Jesus. Because he's like, it's all about people who don't look like you, don't act like you, stepping up and loving people the way God wants us to love. Romans 12, this guy Paul, who wrote these words in Corinthians, Paul says, listen, um, if you really understand what God has done for you, one of the things he says in Romans 12, he's like, you will show hospitality to strangers. And the Greek word literally more means love to strangers, stranger love. 
So Paul says, listen, I get it. You know, the people who look like you have same skin color, same socioeconomic, they're in your growth groups. Those are, those are the easy folks. Paul says, go find the people who don't even look like you, don't act like you, they're strangers. Paul says, those are the people you gotta embrace. And then this, Revelation 7. And this, this is a story of, of the vision of when God says, listen, let's just bring this whole operation to a beautiful close, a beautiful, worshipful close. And this is an image of what God's followers look like when that happens. And it says, God, the, the, the writer says, I looked, there was a great crowd, no one could number. They're from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. They're not just European. It's every nation, it's every tribe, it's every tongue, it's in our DNA. So sure, listen, our government, our, our authorities, they're failing all over the place. Uh, we are becoming increasingly polarized, but listen, the church can make a movement in this thing. We're the ones who have been given this vision to say from our DNA, we are about loving the others. And Jesus says, listen, listen. The commandment to not murder isn't about taking breath or life from somebody because ultimately Jesus is saying life is about more than just breathing and existing. It's about con uh, having a contribution and knowing that you matter and being able to contribute and being able to be listened to. And so, to live out this commandment, guys, friends, whatever the church word is that we can use here, listen, brothers and sisters, it's not just about not murdering. It's about letting everybody be who they are and mattering and contributing and telling their story and sharing their hurts and their pains instead of saying, well, that didn't really happen. Well, that happened 50 years ago. Well, that's not my story. It is about saying, you matter. Your story matters. It's gonna be hard, but tell me your story. I'm in it because you're human and you deserve to be listened to. And Jesus calls us to that. And that's, that's a commandment that, well, that's a, that's a, whole, order of the pre, a whole other preaching, isn't it? So listen, we're still going to the table. Why? Because first of all, we need to acknowledge the body. There's suffering in the body just west of here. But listen, there's suffering in, in, in parts of the body here of people who haven't been able to, be, to tell their story and be listened to. That's the thing that unifies us. We're gonna understand that, that we are a people and we're called to this. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna give a couple more practical, a couple practical things um, and then invite us to an activity this Friday night. So here's the deal. These are just my, boy, remedial basic things when you're starting to honor somebody and letting them be who they are. Listen, first, just stop the Facebook stuff. Just stop it. Stop it. You're not helping anybody. Just stop it. Stop it. Second thing, cultivate social connections. What does that mean? It means serve somewhere with people who don't look like you. Get out of your box. And just go build some connections with people. You know, I was reading books about that, I was studying for this, and they say this thing would do more to fix our Congress than any other recommendation these people could come up with. You know why? A little story. 20, 30 years ago, 
When you got elected to Congress, you know what you did? You brought your family. And you moved to Washington. And you stayed there. And you might bicker and fight all day long across the aisle, but you know what? Your kids went to the same school. They played kickball together. You went to the PTA together. Socially, you were woven into people who did not agree with you. And that created a climate for compromise when it was necessary. Oh, Lord, please. And they say, listen, if you want to try and help fix our country, call your congressman up and say, would you please move your family to Washington? Because we need to cultivate social connections with people who don't look like us and avoid contempt. Fight your initial reactions. Listen, you start talking to people who aren't like you, they're going to say something you don't agree with. Duh. But before you go, that can't be right. Before you go, oh, that's surely you misunderstood that. Before you go, no, that, you're crazy. Fight your initial reaction and stay open. Stay open. Let them bring who they are to you. And be curious. Tell me your story. Tell me who you were growing up. We will fight and fight and fight against contempt. Because God's kingdom is not made up of just one-dimensional people. We win through diversity. We win when people bring all of who they are to this thing. I am better because of the brothers and sisters in my life who don't look like me, talk like me, act like me. I'm better. This Friday night, I want to invite you guys to a very special event. We're going to watch Selma, a movie. And we're going to have a meal together uh, beforehand. And then we're going to listen to a panel discussion. And we're going to engage in some civil discourse. And we're going to create space for people to tell their stories. Because the kingdom of God has a mandate unlike no other entity on earth. It's in our DNA. And we will do the best we can to be a place that honors the body when the storms hit or when we have to address things that just have sit too long. Amen.